0: God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So
1: let me ask you that question. What does God tell you? <laughs> Well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa,
0: someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the Bible is a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen
1: this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, that's bad pizza? Jesus said we'd recognize his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.
0: One of the most challenging times to hear God's voice, I believe, is in times of suffering. It's so difficult to gain clarity in the midst of the fog of pain, fear and doubt. That's why I'm super excited to have my friend and fellow author and communicator, Kate Nicholas, on the show today. Kate has been through a rollercoaster ride of cancer diagnoses, but has heard God speak right in the midst of them. I believe that this episode is going to help you or someone else perhaps who's trying to hear God's voice in the midst of suffering. Hi, and welcome to the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, practical theologian, author, and the director of God Conversations, a ministry that equips you to hear, recognize, and respond to God's voice. My guest today is Kate Nicholas. She is a British author a TV presenter and speaker with over 30 years working experience as a journalist and editor. More recently, she's been the global communications chief for Christian aid agency, World Vision. She also preaches in the Amazing Grace Church. I'm going to break out into song right now. The Amazing Grace Church of St. Peter and St. Paul in the town of Olney in Buckinghamshire. in Mother England, <laughs> welcome to the show, Kate. It's so wonderful to have you here.
1: Oh, Tanya, it's great to join you. Thanks very much for having me on. I love that intro. The one thing you didn't mention there, which is probably relevant, is I actually lived in Sydney for a while, um, and I where I worked for UNICEF, and that's where I met my lovely husband, John. Oh. Only I married an Aussie who wanted to live in the UK. I thought I was going to live on Bondi Beach, but no, I ended up back in the UK again.
0: Ah, uh, what was God thinking? I think I remember reading all about that in your first book, Kate, um, but we first met, what was it, five or six years ago? It was, I think it was indeed, we yeah. We were both, know, yeah. both about to launch our first book with the same publisher and I was so impressed by your beautiful writing and your storytelling and your ability to share what you've walked through in such a profound way. So why don't you tell us a little bit, maybe a little bit about the big picture, who is Kate, Nicholas, where did you come from and, yeah, how did you get to be where you are right now?
1: Well, I think you've done a very good intro to begin with. Um, I am also a mother, I should mention. I have two relatively grown-up children, the youngest, of which has just gone to university this week, just gone. Um, I... Tell you a little bit about my faith journey. I was was actually, it was fairly unconventional. I was brought up as a Baptist by my mother. I had a fairly bohemian upbringing. My mother was a writer and my father was a brilliant, if rather tortured poet. And although I was taken to church by my mother, I was very, very influenced by my father. And he was, um, he was, he, a very, very disturbed man. He would now have been diagnosed as bipolar. But then he was left pretty much to his own devices. And he was left sort of waging the war at the world and God. And I, as a teenager, I was really, really struggled to understand how on earth anyone would let my father suffer like this? How could God let my father suffer like this if he was such a loving God? And I turned to the church for answers, and they couldn't give me any. And so actually, as a young woman, I turned my back on God, or very, probably more accurately, the church, and walked away in anger. But God wasn't willing to let me go, and to say my first book, Sea Change, actually tells the story of that journey back to him. And it was a fairly long and winding one. And it really centered out as a child, I seemed to have the ability to, I could sense the presence of what I would call the numinous. Something I didn't really understand, a God I didn't understand. Um, and I think as I got older and became more rational, that sense disappeared or dissipated. And I actually went through a whole seeking process. I got very involved in Celtic Christianity when I was at university in Wales. And I actually went out to Asia and I studied in the temples in Asia. I actually studied Buddhism, which I studied but ultimately rejected because it was there, I think, I began to realize that a world without God didn't make any sense to me. Um, And actually, I almost rediscovered that sense of God's presence in the outback. I remember we were also on a trip into the outback with my husband, and we went up to Carlo Carlo, Devil's Marbles. I remember we slept there overnight, and I woke in the morning, and the whole sky was red, the landscape was red. And as I stood up, I felt the tangibility of God with me. It was quite extraordinary. And it was really almost the beginning of a journey back to him to begin to understand him. And to begin with, I must say I was ever the rationalist, I'm an ex-journalist. I read lots of theologians. And eventually I came to the conclusion that C.S. Lewis so wonderfully described that Jesus either had to be mad, bad, or it had to be true. And he so obviously was so eminently sane it he was very definitely good, I realised it had to be true. Um, and so my, head, my first faith was of the head, and it was only later, really, I would say it became of the heart, and I really came to know Jesus.
0: I loved your story, Kate. It was such a profound and interesting one, and I, I really appreciated the way that you reflected on it in your first book, um, if anyone's looking for a, for a story about someone's spiritual journey and the ins and outs and what that looked like. Uh, It was such a beautifully written book. But since that time, some years ago, you had some really bad news and that has also become the subject of your second book called To the Ocean Floor. So tell us a little bit about this horrific journey that you've been on and some of the ups and downs of what God has done in your life.
1: Well, it really began in 2014 um, when um, I was first diagnosed with cancer. I was diagnosed with advanced breast cancer and the prognosis was not good. It had actually spread quite considerably. I think I was spending a lot of time traveling with World Vision and I think I was living perennially jet lagged. And so I failed to notice a lot of the symptoms, but it was stage four by the time I was diagnosed. And it had spread to my limb system, to my collarbone, to the pericardial sac around my heart and into the medicinal area around the lungs. And so I wasn't given a very good prognosis at all. But in actual fact, it was extraordinary because the healing actually began for the first treatment. I remember when I was ill, God said to me, you will not die. But you will live and declare the works of the Lord from Psalm 118:17. I was sort of given this scripture that came to me again and again and again, and I hung on to it like a life raft throughout. Wow! Um, and it was extraordinary what God did. The fact that I'm talking to you shows that God did something extraordinary. I believe potentially miraculous. And it was interesting because I wrote. Yeah, because
0: stage floor stage four, four is not something you normally come back from, is it?
1: Stage four is something you can sometimes live with for a while, but it means it has spread beyond the localised area. So it's spread to elsewhere in your body. And once it starts to spread somewhere else in your body, then normally they regard it as incurable. So it can be managed for a while, then give you quality of life for a while. And some people, that's a very long time. I've actually got friends of mine who lived to stage four for a very, very long time. Um, Mine was quite aggressive
0: yeah
1: so um and especially having spread to the pericardial sac around my heart it wasn't wasn't a, we all know what the heart does for the body it was not a good look <laughs> so um yeah it was very very tough thing to hear i a really tough thing to hear especially as a wife and a mother um it was quite extraordinary and i think it's one of the things that i really discovered during that post i should say i wrote sea change my first book while i was actually going through the treatment And it was because I was so worried about what it might do to my children's faith. I was really worried they'd think that God had done this to me and maybe struggled in the way I'd done when I was younger. Mm. And so I wanted to let them know how God had all stood by me and about my own faith journey. And so I wrote all this down. And in doing so, I actually began to see where God had been at work over my life, that he'd always been there. And I think that helped me so much in my own journey because it gave me faith. It reinforced my faith. I thought, I left God. God never. God never left me. Yeah. And I could see all these points in my life when He'd been there, how He changed my trajectory. This sort of unseen hand had guided me, and I just had this sense of wonder throughout. And I'm sure that helped me through. Um, but I think what I would say is, um, I really don't understand why some people are healed and some people aren't. I struggle with this a great deal. Um, I think what I would say is I never advocate fighting something like cancer on a diet of prayer and carrots. <laughs> I took every single medical um, medical treatment offered to me, and I firmly believe that doctors are God's hands and feet, and the wisdom of all these medical breakthroughs, of course, comes from him. There is nothing beyond the purview of God. How can they lie outside the purview of God's creation? So I really believe in this. But I think what I did really come to understand was – that God's healing or Rafa is something bigger than, and may not always include a cure. Because I think what I felt at that time was this extraordinary sense of his presence Mm. and this peace that really did pass all understanding. I remember my husband saying to me, the day they first told me what my prognosis was, we were sitting in the oncologist's office, and he said it was extraordinary to watch. There was this peace descended over me. And I remember he later said, Kate, you could wear a leg off a table, so no, it didn't come from you. (laughs) And it was I remember remember the oncologist kept leaning over and saying to me, you do understand the implications of what I'm saying, don't you? I said, yes, you're telling me I'm dying. And he he was just completely confounded by this. I said, I'm going to leave the door open to God. Yeah. And it was this piece that I think was extraordinary.
0: I know, reading your first book, actually, I really saw that. You had such like sage wisdom from the beginning. You walked it with such grace and strength. um, And the beauty of God's presence with you is a promise for everyone, isn't it,
1: irrespective of the outcome? I don't believe that your healing of all kinds depends upon faith. Jesus healed those of faith, but also those of none. The man at the pool at Bethsaida had no idea who on earth had healed him. And I always think of something to cling on to, you know, mm. God is God's ability to heal in every single way is much bigger than this. And he did heal me. And the amazing thing was I did go on and live and declare the works of the Lord. And yeah. as you know, he kept opening up these doors to me. It was incredible. I ended up writing two more books. Um, I ended up speaking all over the world about my journey. Um, and I ended up presenting the show on TBN called Living a Transformed Life. So. In 2021, when a routine mammogram showed that I got three tumours in the other breast, it was a bit of a shock. I sort of felt, I must confess, I actually think to begin with, I think I felt bewildered. I felt like I was in a bit of a wilderness. Um, I really understood where that term bewildered came from. Because it, I couldn't answer. I felt I'd been fulfilling yeah. my commission from God. And yet somehow this had happened to me. And I was told that the the um, tumors and the cancer was much more aggressive this time. Um, So it was a real shock to the system. Um, But what God told me then, and just again through scriptures coming to me, scriptures coming to mind that I hadn't thought about for years was this idea that it was in the wilderness that the Israelites were given the rules for life. Jesus was driven into the wilderness before he began his ministry. God doesn't drive people into the wilderness without purpose. That actually it can be a time of immense discovery and time of immense growth. And for that reason, I began again to think I must record what God is doing here. So at the outset, I began to think, I've got to write down what God is doing here. And that's what led to my second book, To the Ocean Floor, which is about my second cancer journey and how it turned into a really profound gateway or gateway to a really profound connection with God. Something that went beyond anything I'd experienced before. Profound,
0: um, Kate. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to get that second diagnosis and, and feel like you were doing it all over again, perhaps. But I I totally resonate with you about the wilderness concept. I I think as I've grown older and as I've connected with people, I can see that as a pattern, even in scripture, that people were led into this time. And God, as we were talking about just before, isn't the author of pain or suffering or disease, but there's something that he about that that he uses in those seasons. I think of um Paul with his thorn in the flesh, that greater mm-hmm. than Paul's comfort in removing the thorn was a level of depth of some work in his soul. Um, 2 Corinthians talks about that he was, had the potential of pride, spiritual pride, because he'd had all these spiritual experiences yeah. hearing God's voice and revelations of the third heaven. And he's now in danger of his soul um, becoming polluted by arrogance and pride. And so healing for Paul, I think, in that moment, looked emotional and spiritual more than physical. And I think that stood out for me in your second book, Into the Ocean Floor, just the depth. It was almost like, okay, you've touched the surface and now we're going deeper. And um, we'd love to hear more about your journey, particularly hearing God's voice in that, in that time, Kate. Let's um, explore that a little bit more, perhaps. Um, tell us a little bit how God ministered to you in that time when you'd just received the diagnosis.
1: Yes, um, so I think this thing about the, going from the shallows to deep is a, is a quite a profound thought, that one. Yeah, I'm gonna say, I will be honest, it was a very, very tough journey, a lot tougher than the last time. Um, I was quite ill throughout the whole chemotherapy, and quite early on, um, I had sepsis, and I was taken into hospital. Um, and during that time, which is one of the dark days, I had a mystical experience, what I would call my ocean floor experience. And it was extraordinary. There was an intensity to it, which really, I think, goes beyond words, which is a real challenge for a writer who's dealing with words. Um, Because effectively, it was an apathetic experience. God speaking to me without words. And I thought one of the best ways to maybe do this is to, to read you just a very small bit of the book where I've tried to convey something of this. This is not the entirety of the experience. Once my husband leaves and I'm taken from A&E, any last vestiges of fighting spirit leave my body. I'm vaguely aware of being wheeled down through the labyrinthine corridors of the hospital to the acute medical unit, where I'm placed in an isolation room. As the door closes, I once again descend, down through the waters, away from the light, slowly, gently, until my limbs settle on the distant ocean floor, swaddled in the stillness of the deep, Enveloped in silence, all conscious thought ebbs away on the tide. I bathe in the stillness and silence permeates my soul. Lulled by the invisible rhythm of the depths, time loses its meaning. Dreams meld with reality as I rest on the far seabed. Until gradually in that liminal space, I begin to sense something other, the numinous. A presence vast and uncontained, indefinable but tangible. An encounter with something endless and eternal, there in the pressing water. And together we wait in the silence, rocked in the arms of the deep. Mm, It's
0: beautiful.
1: It was an extraordinary experience. And that's just the beginning of what happened. Um, And when I recovered from that particular episode, and there were several of them, unfortunately, I was caught by this realness, I had this real sense of desperate nostalgia, a powerful yearning to recapture the intensity of that connection, that experience. And so what the book talks about is I then tried to kind of find a way to recapture that intensity, and in doing so, I discovered a whole tradition I knew very little about, which goes all the way back to the dawn of Christianity. And these are contemplative practices which um, were were used by the Apostle Paul, by the early Desert Fathers who went into the wilderness in order to find God, by Celtic Christians, um, and also by medieval mystics, and have been developed into Christian meditative practices by modern practitioners like Bede Griffiths and John Main. And What all of these focus on is the idea of hearing God or being close to God in solitude and hearing God in silence. And I could tell you, it was a real challenge to me because I I think you know know me well enough to know Tanya. I'm a bit of a raving extrovert. Um, You know, I really love being my church family. I love corporate church life, you know. Um, I believe in being part of the body of Christ. But... The mixture between cancer and COVID, because of course this happened in the middle of the pandemic, forced me into involuntary retreat. Very often in isolation rooms, I couldn't even be with my family because my husband worked in school and my children were in school. So therefore they would bring home a of bugs. Um, and it also really, so I think it really taught me to appreciate God in solitude and in silence because I always used to fill my life with noise. I found that I was... Beginning to appreciate silence. And I think as I went deeper into it, it also challenged me to set aside my rationalism, which had really dominated my life to date.
0: I really want to unpack that thought even more, um, Kate, because I think that's what really hit me when I was reading your work, being a bit of a rationalist myself. We are talking to uh, the wonderful Kate Nicholas all the way from England, an author, a cancer survivor, a highly accomplished woman who, because of her cancer journey, has really received the wisdom and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. I'm loving the conversation. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Did you know that dreams and visions are the most common way God spoke in biblical history? And God still speaks in this powerful and creative way today. Of course, not every dream is from God. So how do we know when it is? And how do we understand the strange scenes that appear in our dreams? The globally renowned God Dreams online course answers these questions and more. It includes six teaching videos, a downloadable study guide and interaction with the God Conversations team. We've kept the price super low to make it accessible to everyone. Be equipped to hear God's voice in dreams and visions. Register today at GodConversations.com forward slash courses. We're back with Kate Nicholas from the UK, and we are talking about hearing God's voice through cancer. Thank you for sharing that beautiful passage of writing, Kate. That was, it takes you there. And I know that words have their limits in terms of trying to describe a spiritual experience. Um, But looking back on that, you've said that you've then gone on this journey. Now, this is interesting to me because often when we have revelation from the Holy Spirit and God shows us things, this then calls us to learn more that we haven't realized before. And you're talking about the contemplative tradition. If you had to sum up some key thoughts around that, uh, what would that look like? What would that mean for people today? How could we learn from those who have gone before us?
1: I think probably um you can sum it up with psalm forty six ten be still and know that he is God. I think it's very much about um setting aside our need to we continually fill our life with activity and being being able to embrace the stillness i I've always been a bit of a Martha where I've been in a state of constant activity and I think It's very easy, particularly if you're involved in Christian ministry, to get very caught up with the whole activity around being a Christian. And I think there's a lot. I think what what I've discovered from these traditions, it was was actually focusing less on being, less on doing, and more on being. And I think there's this thing I was talking about before, about it forced me to set aside rationalism, um, to embrace the idea of the mystery of God. Um, Richard Raw, the Franciscan monk, who's written... a great many wonderful works talks about two parts of faith your faith life the first part of your life which is very much about rationalizing your understanding of god is often about doctrine and but a second part of life faith which tends to come to us in the later in our later years but actually can come to people much earlier which is where you actually go beyond trying to kind of understand the paradoxes to kind of reconcile the paradoxes and actually able to inhabit and embrace the full mystery of god um and i think when i look at my own life i i think the early part of my life you know i knew that god speaks to us through Chris scripture um and it's, it's quite interesting because i remember early on in this journey um I was given another scripture. Last time, my first journey, I was given the scripture from Psalm 118, 17, you will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And on this journey, I was given Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, I I, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you hope in a future, which, again, wonderful promise that I held on to like a life raft. And I think scripture keeps coming to you, and this scripture kept coming to me throughout. Um, but I think... I also understood that God speaks us through our circumstances, the people we encounter. And I remember one moment I met a wonderful prayerful nurse that I speak about in the book, that I talk about in the book, who met me quite early on the journey and kept on being with me, almost like a guide. And I remember one of the first things she said to me when I first met her and we prayed together before I went in for a scan was Jeremiah 2911, you know. <laughs> God has plans possibly not to harm you. So I think God does speak to us through scripture and through our encounters. And I knew that. Um, But I think the other thing I understood was that God speaks to us through what I call God incidences. Um, I remember quite early on, I was actually, a friend of mine suggested I read a book by B. Griffiths, um, who was a Benedictine monk who went out to India and set up the first Christian ashram. And his, his theory was that, or his thesis was that in the West, with our devotion to rationalism, we have lost something of the intuitive connection with God, which actually the Eastern mystics, such as the Desert Fathers, really understood. That's and what he went really challenged me
0: when I was reading your book, <laughs> That's it.
1: Mm. I, um,
0: Because I, I don't know if it was you that said oh, Christianity is actually an Eastern faith. So the so non-rational right that's a non-rational intuitive and that's the side of me as a as a thinker and an analytical person that's the side of me that probably gets squashed down quite a bit and so I when I read that part of your book even though I talk about hearing the voice of the spirit that's what really hit me um and the importance of in the west we've really denigrated that a little bit and I think that, you know, sometimes what we've done in the church is that we've called some of these ideas a little bit new age or a bit threatened by the mysticism and um, meditation, contemplation, but actually this is part of the Christian tradition and it's just the West that has rejected it in favour of systematic theology. (laughs) So um, I love what you're saying there and it sounds to me like you've come out better for it, you've come out on the other side,
1: experiencing uh, that awakening of yourself as well. Well, I think that's actually quite interesting we say about it being new age, it's actually very old. Yeah. <laughs> these are really, really old ideas. Um, it's really interesting, because when I began to read about this, um, I found these kind of mystical experiences. Um, so Paul, for example, um, talks about mystical experiences. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says he was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know, and heard things that cannot be told, cannot be uttered. You know, like you were very, caught very, down. Long. You, were, you were caught down to the ocean floor. He was caught up. in yes. <laughs> <laughs> But I think this. The, the, I think this second part of life journey is about embracing all of that. It's about um, you know leaving aside the idea of the east, which I think makes some people nervous. It's about embracing an intuitive connection with God. Yeah, well, and that's I think what the spirit. Idea, yeah,
0: the spirit is spiritual. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. the spirit realm, isn't it, where the spirit lives? Yeah. So it makes sense, Kate. That's where
1: he speaks to us. Um, and I think, you know, it's about appreciating that God speaks in solitude. I'm saying, you know, Jesus in Matthew 6, 6 says, you know, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father. There's something about in being in solitude and allowing that sense of his presence Beautiful. And of course, in silence, um, so I always love the story about Elijah, you know, one Kings where he's running away from Jezebel who's trying to kill him. And he's, he goes to Mount Horeb and he's actually feeling, why on earth is all this happening to me? Um, you know, something I can resonate with. Um, and he, he complains to God and God says to him, you know, he says "I to God, I've been very zealous for you. You know, why is this happening to me? And so he's told to go and stand on the mountain and God says he will pass by. And first of all, there's this great wind that cracks the rocks. And then there's an earthquake. And he expects to see God in this, you know. Um, and then there's a fire. And then finally there's silence. And that's when he hears the whisper of God. That's when God speaks to him. So I think there's something about, and the thing that I found through this journey is I found that it was in solitude I came closest to God. And in silence, he spoke most eloquently, I think, into this very deepest part of me.
0: Sickness is often the place where we find ourselves feeling very alone. I don't, you know, no one else can endure that with you. And God certainly seems to turn the volume up in those places. Kate, um, I'm thinking about our listeners. I'm thinking about people who are going through a time of suffering now, whether that will be Um, disease or whether that's uh, difficulties in relationships or or just um, things that have happened to them. What advice would you give them in that place for someone who's going through that and would really
1: love to hear the voice of God in the midst of that? I think when I started out this process, I tried to establish a rule of life, but it was only when I became too ill to read, my situation became too complex to pray about, when I began, to, when I was almost ill to to think clearly, I really began to have that intuitive connection. So I think it was about giving up this striving, this striving to actually can somehow battle this not leaning on our own understanding. But it's, I think there's something about letting go and allowing this descent to the ocean floor because this sense, which you know, I talk about in the book, being held is so profound. Um, you know, I've always been a kind of a bona fide control freak. And I'm for me, this was incredibly challenging. I think it's one of the most challenging things about it. Um, but I think it's there that I found the God that speaks without words. And um, the poet Gerald Kelly has described to the ocean floor as a powerful account of the richness that can be found at the borders of life's journey, which I love, because I think it's sometimes only when we go beyond our own resources that we're able to surrender to this divine voice that speaks without words, into this very, very deepest part of us. I don't believe, however, you have to suffer to have that experience. I think that's really, really important. Um, I think any of us in our daily lives can actually have this time of surrender. I think it's about taking time in our lives to go apart, to actually spend time alone with God, to allow him to speak into our lives. And I think that um, one of the things that I've done is within the book, I've actually shared all the resources that I used on my journey. And these range from everything from Christian mindfulness through to centering prayer. Um, and so there's sort of lots of apps and things that people can use to actually try and actually just open themselves up to this intuitive experience. Mm-hmm. So I really don't believe. Very often I think we feel that, you know, I think sometimes people can feel they hear from God most clearly, kind of on the mountaintop moments of their lives, you know, and we have to kind of go apart. The reality is that he also speaks to us in the valleys, but we have to still take that time apart and to and to do as he says and just be still in the midst of everything and just allow ourselves to know that he is God.
0: Such profound wisdom, Kate. I love it. And it's such a great call to Be still and know that he is God. Again, I keep thinking about people who are listening today. I'm wondering, I don't normally ask this, Kate, but I really feel to do it this time. Would you mind praying for people who are listening today um, that they would really be able to find God in the midst of their suffering? Would you mind doing that?
1: Of course. I would love to. I would love to, Tanya. Oh, dear Lord and Father, I just thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the great gift of being able to share how you've worked in my life, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that people will be encouraged to know that if you are always there while we are running around, Lord, trying to kind of run our own lives, Lord, that you are always there, Lord. All we have to do is take a moment to be still and to know that you are God, Lord. I pray for anyone who is going through suffering at this time, Lord, who is feeling doubt and uncertainty, Lord, who is feeling pain, who is feeling anxiety, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you can speak into that situation, Lord. You'll speak into the very deepest part of their souls with the wisdom that goes beyond words, Lord, with that found sense of your presence, Lord. I pray that they will feel that they are being held, Lord, in your arms in the deepest part of themselves, Lord. Lord and Father, I just lift all those up to you who are suffering at this time, Lord. But I also lift up all those, Lord, who maybe are seeking you but feel that you're too far away, Lord. And I pray that they can find the moments in their their daily lives, Lord, where they can also, Lord, be still and to know you, Lord. To know you in a deep way that goes beyond words, Lord. Lord, your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways, Lord. Your ways are higher than our ways, So, Lord, I just pray for that embracing of your full mystery, Lord, and that recognition that this world, our reality, is so much more wonderful and mysterious than we can ever imagine and to glory in this, Lord. I pray this for all those listening today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour and our Healer. Amen. Amen.
0: Kate, you're you're such a blessing, and I'm so glad that you are here to declare the works of the Lord. (laughs) For those who would love to enjoy your book, and I highly recommend it, where can they find you?
1: Um, You can find more information on katenicholas.co.uk and To the Ocean Floor and all my other books um, are available on Korong in australia in
0: australia this podcast goes all over the world so good old amazon is a good off- option and amazon um, apologies yes
1: and amazon worldwide and amazon worldwide yeah and eden in the
0: uk absolutely where your home base is thank you again for coming on kate and for sharing your wisdom with us and for being vulnerable in your story i think you know, just exposing what was happening in your story is such a beautiful part of your writing and it's done so beautifully and sensitively. So thank you again. Thanks for listening to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing to the show on your favourite podcast app. And remember, the Holy Spirit was given so we could all hear God's voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.